Okay, good morning. So, as Hidu said, my name is Neil, for those of you that don't know me. Um, I've grown up in Kings, I've been here all my life. Um, I love Kings very much. And um, again, as Hidu said, I've got the huge privilege and honor in leading our worship teams and all of our production teams. And I wanted to just take the moment to um, actually thank those guys and commend them to you. We have got some incredible, gifted, amazing people that serve us each week. And so could we just for a moment show our appreciation to the guys on stage and the guys at the back. They are a fantastic team to lead and I feel very privileged to have the honor of leading them. I'm married to a beautiful young Sheila called Becky. There's a picture of us going to come up. That was us on our honeymoon about two years ago, uh, and we're just about about to celebrate our second anniversary next month. Didn't I do well? Jeez. Woo! I won't make her stand. That would not go down well. This morning, we're going to look at Luke 15. Together, we're going to continue in our Jesus stories. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Luke 15? We're going to read verses 1 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen behind me. So Luke 15 verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are good. And we thank you, God, that this morning we have already been able to delight in your presence and worship you and sing songs to glorify you. And we pray Holy Spirit, that right now you would be with us, you would come upon us, you would stir our hearts to see Jesus, and that you would bring revelation out of these scriptures to us this morning. Amen. So as we've been doing this series on the parables out of Luke, it's dawned on me that there is actually a real danger for those of us that have been Christians for a while and know these stories well, that actually what we can do is skip over them or skim through them very fast and actually not take a lot of what there is in these passages for us to take. Some of us might be so familiar with these short stories, we might have heard them so much growing up that we just tend to kind of skip over them, that we think we've taken all that we can get from them um, or will get from them. Jesus told these short stories for a reason. The poor and uneducated could easily access them, could easily understand them. And it would have been a common practice in that culture to learn through stories. He used people and objects in his stories that those listening to him could 
relate to. So in these two stories, we've got a shepherd and we've got a woman. In that day, in that culture, both of these people would have been the lowest in society. And actually, we learn from verse 1 that similar people were the ones sitting, listening to Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So he uses people and objects in his stories that those listening could easily relate to. But within these short, accessible stories, we find a depth and a limitlessness to what we can find out about God, about Jesus, about their love for us, and we find revelation. We see themes of love, sacrifice, pain, and redemption form. And so let's look at these two stories together. What have we got? We've got two people who lose two very precious items. We've got a shepherd with a hundred sheep. So again, this shepherd would have been low in society. These sheep would have been the way of him making a living. It was literally his livelihood. He probably had a family at home counting on him. And so when one goes missing... He's off. He's straight after it. And then we've got a woman with 10 silver coins. Now these coins would have been the Greek drachma. And it's believed that about one of these coins would have been a day's wages for her. And so even as we first approach these stories, we probably can't quite even relate to the loss they're feeling. I'm guessing none of us in this room have sheep. If you do, living in London, respect. That's quite impressive. Um, And also when we read this story, we probably can't quite understand that she would spend a day looking throughout her whole house, sweeping the house in search for this coin. We can't quite relate to them. And so it got me thinking that what have I lost that has caused me frustration or pain? And so I'm wondering, how many of you have ever lost your wallet or your purse? Show of hands. Oh yes, oh yes, I heard it down here. I've lost my wallet. I came back from holiday and in my wallet was my driving license, all my bank cards and all the remainder of my holiday money, which I think was around £100 and I lost it all. But the worst thing that caused me the most amount of pain was I think I had a whole free chicken on my Nando's loyalty card. (laughs) Yeah, you're feeling my pain, right? It's okay. Oh, I got some pastoral care. I'm, I'm dealing with it. <laughs> but huge loss, I'm telling you. And so then what I did is I actually rang my mum this week and I said, Mum, I'm just wondering, when I was a kid, was there ever a moment when, we're, when we were out and about that you lost me? Now, I think I warned her that I was going to share this with 800 people during the day. But if I didn't, and Mum, you're listening to this on the website, I'm very sorry. So let me set the scene for you. We're in Mark's Dispensers. In Bromley, um, I, they, my mum thought I was probably about three or four at the time. I thought I'd bring you an image so you can visualise uh, little three-year-old Neil. Oh yeah, what a poser! What do you think? Still got it, right? Still got it. Yeah, <laughs> love it. And um, so we're in Mark Spencer's. I'm with my two older sisters as well. They're six and eight years older than me, so I really was the baby. Uh, I was the surprise, or if you ask my sisters, the mistake. Um, but uh, it's all right, I'm getting care over that as well, it's fine, I'm dealing with it. So we're in Marks and Spencers, and I obviously got very disinterested with what they were doing. They were probably looking at handbags or shoes or something. And so my mum turns around, and I've vanished. And so apparently they start looking for me, first of all, reasonably relaxed. And then after a while, things start to kind of heat up, and panic starts set, set in. 
I asked mum how long she thought she'd been looking. She couldn't tell me, but she did say it felt like an age. And so literally things are really starting to get tense now. They're about to alert the Marks and Spencer staff. They're about to call in the SWAT teams and get their helicopters in. And, um, and then suddenly they hear this little giggle come from a clothes rack. And suddenly little three-year-old Neil pops out with a big grin on his face, says, here I am. And he's all happy and thinks it's a fun game. And I can imagine I got a very stern talking to after it. But what my mum remembers most is just the fear and the panic that for those few moments that she felt. And so while we hold that picture in our minds of a parent fearing the loss of their child, let me tell you this other story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we're in the beginning of time. You've got God the Father, you've got the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect union Together, God decides to create the earth. He creates the heavens. He casts the stars into the sky. He separates land from sea, creates night and day, the birds, the fish, the trees. He creates animals from an ant to an elephant. Such beauty was created, jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring beauty. And then the pinnacle of creation is he creates man and woman. What a gift to Adam, this earth that was beautiful, There was no sin, there was no death, there was no pain. It was paradise. And once more, Adam had relationship with God. We read that Adam got to walk and talk with God. What a gift Adam has received. But we know, don't we, that Adam ruins it. Him and Eve, they eat the fruit, sin enters the world, and everything is now broken. The weather is broken. Our bodies are broken. Relationships are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. He wrecks it. And now fast forward with me 2,000 years. Jesus, who was there in the beginning, son of God, is God, is born as a baby. He stays hidden for 30 years and then for three years he slowly starts to reveal who he is and why he has come. In that time, he heals the sick. He shows love to sinners and tax collectors. He is loved and adored by some, but despised by others. And then where does the story go? He is betrayed. He is hung on a cross. He is beaten. He is whipped. He is ridiculed. And he dies. And so let's return to that picture of the father or the mother worrying about the loss of her son. And now let's relate this to God. So God creates this beautiful earth, and he gifts it to Adam and Eve. It's theirs to govern, to work the land. They name the animals. And he's in relationship with Adam. Adam can literally talk and walk with God. And they turn their back on God. God has gifted his children. He's created and gifted his children, and then his children turn their back on him. And then for 2,000 years, all through the Old Testament... We read, don't we, time and time again, God shows his love and his faithfulness to his people and time and time again they turn their back on him. And then God sends his son, Jesus, to earth and has to watch him be beaten and ridiculed and hung on a cross. The pain that God the Father must have felt in these moments. But thank goodness for us, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end on the cross. We know that three days later, Jesus is risen 
in victory. He has conquered sin. He conquers death. He's dealt that crushing blow to the evil one. And once where darkness surrounded, where fear crippled, where death circled, now there is life. There is hope. There is light. There is freedom. And so when we come across these short parables, particularly the two we're looking at this morning, the first thing that it should make us do is remember. It should make us remember that once we were lost. We can read this story, can't we, about the lost, and we can kind of think, oh, it's okay, I've been found, I'm now a Christian. And that's true, but it should make you remember that once you were not. It should make you remember and give thanks that once where you were lost, you have now been found. All because the great shepherd left the glory and the splendor of heaven. He put his glory aside. He came to earth. He died on a cross. He rose again. And because of that sacrifice, you have been brought home. You can know life, hope, freedom. So remember and rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the free gift that Jesus has won for you. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord our God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The day that you said yes to Jesus... God has been rejoicing over you with singing. Every morning that you wake up to fresh grace, God is rejoicing over you with singing. So remember, give thanks and rejoice in your salvation freely given. Obviously, as I say this, I'm speaking to those in the room that have accepted Jesus into their life. And let me just make a small comment to those of you that are still on a journey and haven't yet made that step. That there's a third story that goes with these two. There's a third parable that speaks of a father with two sons. And one of the sons completely dishonors his father and asks for all his inheritance early before his father's passed away. Such disgrace. And the father lets him go. And this story is all about a father who waits patiently for his son to return. And when he does, he is there with open arms. And so I want to say to you this morning that if you are still on a journey, if you are still looking into the gospel message and the claims of Jesus, I just say this, that there is a Father in heaven who is waiting patiently for you. And his arms are wide open. There is also a warning here for us in this story. You see, sheep are quite stupid animals. They're fickle. And they just wander without any kind of thought. I remember I went to France a few years ago and my friend's dad, he had a lot of sheep. And it felt like every day we were going out looking for another sheep that had found another hole in the fence. They just wander off. And do you know what there is? We can be very like that. We can be very similar in that Everything is fighting for our attention. You can't walk down the high street without billboards and advertisements fighting for your attention. Wanting you to do this, buy this, live this way. And so often our attentions are grabbed. And so I want to say to you this morning, do not stray. Do not allow your focus, your attention to be captured by these things. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Do not stray. 
do not allow yourself to be isolated. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 to 9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Rest in him, standing firm in the faith. I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of David Attenborough. I'm watching some of the nature stuff. And um, how do lions hunt? They circle the herd and they wait, don't they, to see which one is the weak link. They're looking for that one animal that strays slightly away from the rest of the herd, that weak link. And when they've got it isolated, when the moment's right, they pounce, they strike. And do you know what? The devil does the same thing. He waits and he watches and he waits to see which one of us is just going to isolate ourselves that little bit. And often we can isolate ourselves without even really being aware we're doing it. Maybe work's really piled on. And so this week you kind of go, oh, do you know what? I'm not going to get to church this week. And then the same thing the week after. Oh, and you don't make it to community. And just bit by bit, without even realizing, you're isolating yourself. You're taking yourself away from the safety, the encouragement, the strength of the herd, the church. And you just slowly, bit by bit, become isolated. And it's in those moments when the devil strikes. Do not allow yourself to be isolated. That picture that we have of the 99 sheep. It's the church, it's strength, it's encouragement. Do not allow yourself to be isolated. And then my third is just do not let the enemy take you out. Just don't let him. He's got no authority. Do not let him take you out. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, on God. Stay rooted in him. Stay connected with the body, the church. And as I was preparing this week, this week, I actually felt God put a word on me for us as a family that often the enemy uses really silly, petty things to isolate us. And I want to say this, that the church is not perfect. This church is not perfect. Why? Because it's full of imperfect people. We all make mistakes. And so often people leave or isolate or distance out of really silly small things. They might not seem small to you in the moment, but, but we are called and should be able to discuss and talk things out in love with grace. That's what a family does. And so can I just say that there will be moments where you're going to be hurt in this church. That's inevitable. Do not let the enemy use it to isolate you. Talk it out in love and grace. So they're my first two points this morning. Celebrate in your salvation, freely given. Do not stray. Do not become isolated. And then my third point this morning is we are invited to join the search party. I want to stress that we are invited, we are not needed. God does not need us, but he wants us to be a part of this. He wants, he wants us to join the search party and help. In the story of the woman in the lost coin, we, what we don't read is that she's lost a coin and she aimlessly stumbles around her house looking for this coin. In the kind of house she would have lived in, there would have been very few windows and they would have been very small. And so even in the day, it would have been very dark. She doesn't fumble around in the dark. What do we read? She lights a lamp. She grabs a broom and she sweeps the house. She grabs tools and equipment that will aid her in her search. And God does the same thing. He uses us, the church, and he invites us 
to be a part. And I actually want to stress that it's not even just an invitation, it's an instruction. He's instructed us to join the search party. Matthew 5 verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out underfoot. And in Luke 14, just before the two parables we've been looking at this morning, under the title, The Cost of Being a Disciple, it says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And then go back to Matthew 5, verse 14. It says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've been instructed that in response to knowing the sacrifice Jesus made for us, and after receiving the love of the Father, we now go and tell others. We've been instructed. And so as we think about this, I want to ask three questions of you this morning. And the first is simply this. Have you got people around you that don't know Jesus yet? Simple question. But if you don't, it's going to be very hard for you to be salt and light to them if they're not even around you. And this is such an easy trap for us as Christians that we surround ourselves so much with Christians and people of the same mind, which is great. We need encouragement. We need that. But we are also called to go into the world. Not be of the world, but go into it. So have you got people around you? This is a big trap for me because I work full-time for the church. And so if I'm not careful, every minute of every day, I'm with believers. And I've, I've been called to go into the world, to be salt and light. And so simple, have you even allowed yourself to be around non-Christians? Second question, do you model what Christ has done in you? There should be a visible difference in the way that you live your life. A visible difference. And if there isn't, there's an issue. There should be a change in the way that you treat your husband or your wife, in the way that you treat your kids, the way that you handle your money, the words that you use, what you let come out of your mouth. There should be a difference. And people should see that. People should see that you're a Christian before they ever speak to you. You never have to ask someone if a light's a light. They see it. You know it's light. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Our life, the way that we live, who we are, should tell people what we believe and what we're living for. My third question, have you equipped yourself in how to tell people about Jesus? We've already looked at the woman who lost her coin and we related that she grabbed tools and equipment and God uses us. But also we should equip ourselves as well in how to share the gospel. Again, we shouldn't walk around aimlessly. We should know. We should have strategy and thought through. How am I going to tell this person the gospel? How am I going to try and bring this person to church? You should be ready. Can you even, if, if the time came, can you even tell someone the gospel? Are you able to articulate the gospel message? We should be equipping ourselves tell people about Jesus. There was a fantastic series we did here a few years ago called Walk Across the Room by Bill Hybels. 
And again, it's practical teaching on how to share your faith. Not in a way that's pushy or budgy. We don't want to be those annoying Christians that every other word is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come to church, come to church. But how do we do it with love and grace? And how do we be effective? And I just want to say a little warning here as well. Steve Van Ryan spoke two weeks ago out of the Good Samaritan story. And his warning to us was about racism and, here's the word, prejudice. I think I've got it. Call that word's hard. And so I want to say to you this morning, just a warning. Are you quicker to move towards some people than others? Are you quicker to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus to certain people than others? People that maybe look like you, talk like you, are like you. I want to say this. We are called to be a light to all men. To all men, regardless of how they look, how they speak, who they are. And so if someone came in this morning that looked a bit different... Sounded a bit different. How quick would we be as a community to move to that person? We are called to be light to all men. What is the greatest commandment over us as a people? Matthew 22 verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second greatest commandment over us is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So most of us in this room have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so we are aware of Jesus and God, which means we are also aware that there is a very real enemy who seeks to undo, who seeks to destroy and harm, which means that there is also a very real hell. Now, I can't stand up here today and tell you everything that hell is and what it's going to be like, but I can tell you this. Hell is eternal separation from God. Grasp that for a moment. Hell is eternal separation from God. And I want to raise the bar on even this in that it's not like now where people who don't know God are just almost unaware of him. They don't know any, but that's just it. One day Jesus will return and every knee will bow, whether willingly or unwillingly. And then can you imagine after seeing His glory, his splendor, his majesty, his holiness. Imagine after seeing that, if you hadn't willingly given your life to Jesus, can you imagine them being separated from that? Can you imagine after knowing Jesus, after walking with him, knowing that rock in your life, could you imagine being separated from that? It breaks my heart because I'm sure we can all think of friends, family, loved ones that Jesus came tomorrow. Eternal separation from God is at stake. And so I want to put this over us. If the second greatest commandment over us is to love our neighbor, surely, surely the greatest way we are to show love to the people of this world is to tell them about Jesus. To warn them of what's at stake. To tell them that there is a hope And that there is a very loving, amazing Father in heaven with his arms wide open waiting to receive them. Surely. And so I want to raise the bar that telling people about Jesus, this isn't just for the gifted few, the gifted speakers. This is a call on all of us to be light and salt. Jordan, why don't you guys come up? 
to be light and salt to this world. Luke 12 verse 48 says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We have received much, haven't we? Oh, we've received much grace and mercy in our lives. And so we are now called, instructed. We have an obligation. We have to tell people about Jesus. We must. And so in a moment, we're going to respond. We're going to sing. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back up and we're going to respond to a couple of things. And I'm going to give the opportunity for you to respond. But what I want to do first, can we just take a moment, each of us, in silence, just to, while Jordan plays, just to think, where are you? Examine your heart this morning. Where has God been probing you this morning? What has he been revealing in your heart this morning? What have you felt the Holy Spirit revealing this morning? Where are you in this story? Have you strayed away? Have you strayed? Are you aware that you need to come home? That you need to say sorry and get back in the fold? Maybe you've actively avoided sharing your faith and this morning you need to ask for courage and boldness to live out what Jesus has instructed us to do. Just take a moment and think. Examine your heart before God this morning. Spirit, I ask that you would just come upon us right now and that you would reveal anything in our lives, in our hearts that does not bring glory to you. Anything that we need to bring before you this morning. I pray for those that have strayed that you would just begin to call them.